0: This is Michael Rappaport, and you're now tuning into to the I Am Rappaport podcast in stereo. I don't care what kind of headphones, what kind of car you're in, what kind of uh, you know, people listen to this uh, podcast in coffee shops. It's a worldwide fucking phenomenon. Okay, the I Am Rappaport podcast has been dubbed a worldwide fucking phenomenon. I've uh, gotten great feedback from the first few episodes. I got people in New Zealand. Got people in France. I got people in North Dakota, South Dakota. Had a couple of uh, fans in Northern Korea, Southern Korea, the northern part of Eastern Korea. Motherfuckers are going crazy all over the world. All right. And I appreciate it because I love doing the I Am Rappaport podcast. You know why? Because I am Michael Rappaport. I want to make a confession. Today, I spent so much more money than I ever should have spent on something. But I'm wearing them and I'm enjoying them. It's definitely not like me to do this. I bought a pair. I've never done this in my life. It might be the single most luxurious fucking thing i've ever bought in my life like indulgent like i didn't need to buy these but i I spent 305 dollars i know some people are like that's it for me on a pair of i am a little embarrassed to say it but i'll just say it on a pair of cashmere sweatpants okay but i am wearing them right now it's probably the first night that it's been cool in this global warming fucking shitstorm that's been going on in Los Angeles. I don't know, man. Los Angeles, the last two weeks, my goodness, man. A fucking global warming shitstorm. And I'll have my brother on the show. I have a brother who is a professor, he, and he studies and teaches. He teaches global warming at a college, if you could believe that shit. I got a brother who teaches global warming at a college, Eric Kennedy Rappaport. And he'll come on this show to educate you fucking people. He's been telling me, I remember when I saw when I saw um, Inconvenient Truth. Fuck. And I, I was like, oh shit, the environment. And I emailed my brother and I was like, did you see this movie? You got to go see He's Like I've been telling you, I've been, this is what I study, you fucking idiot. That's the first time you're ever going to pay attention to me. Is when you go see the Al Gore movie because I never listen. I can never. was always like, "What the fuck do you do?" He's that it? I don't. People would say, "What does your brother do?" I would say, "I don't. He does some shit." But he now I know what he does. I was a motherfucker. We're gonna get into that later. I was a motherfucker growing up. Anyway, so I bought a pair of three hundred and five dollar cashmere sweatpants from a place called Ron Herman. I usually just call it Fred Siegel's. It's it's Fred Siegel's or Ron Herman. It's like a store in Los Angeles. It's a group of stores. I go to the restaurant and I eat all the time. They have great food there. Great food at Fred Siegel's on Melrose. Probably the place I go to most often in Los Angeles for lunch. Great pastas, nice staff. Great half lemonade, half iced tea, although they used to have better because they had a slushy, but then they got rid of the slushies, but now they're making the slushies, or maybe they just make them for me. It's one of the perks of being Michael Rappaport. You could get slushies made at Fred Siegel. Life is good, folks. I'm big fucking time. You might not be able to get a slushie at Fred Siegel's. You might go to Fred Siegel's and just get an Arnold Palmer, and they might bring it out and mix. Me, somehow, they hooked me up. And I feel like I'm a good tipper, so that's that. Anyway, so there was a sale on clothing... And I went up into the sale with my girl. I've been to Fred Siegel a lot. It, it, it's not like me. I, I it, It's not really like a place you would probably... I'm not comfortable in there. They're not totally comfortable with me having... Me being in there buying clothes. In the restaurant, they love me. The restaurant at Fred Siegel's, Moro's Cafe. They fucking love me. I'm the fucking... Uh, I'm great. But the fashion place it's very, you know, she-she Beverly Hills very she she i don't know what that was it's very she she beverly hills and uh i bought clothes i bought pants but not a lot of fancy shit i like the shit a lot of shit doesn't fit me the extra large fits me like you know a baseball shirt like it, it just it, it reaches like the, the middle of my forearm you know like the shirts they wore in bad news bears like those kinds of baseball shirts i have very long arms people i don't know if you know this but you were talking, pro- and I guarantee you, I have longer arms than the king of podcast, Adam Carolla. I guarantee you. But you'll say, oh no, Adam Carolla's got long arms. I have longer arms. He probably got a bigger dick, but I have the longest arms, okay? Anyway, so I bought these sweatpants. They're cashmere. I have them on right now. I don't have any underwear on, and they're so fucking comfortable. They feel like I have nothing on, and they're warm, but not too hot. And the guy at the store said, he goes, you're really going to like these because they're warm, but not too hot. They're not, uh, you know, they're not tight. They're loose, but they're not like karate pants. Okay, I don't know if I'm uh, painting a good enough picture here. I'm not a fashion person. They're navy blue and they're super fucking comfortable. These cashmere sweatpants that I have on that cost probably 300 would tax 340 something dollars. From Ron Herman. They're Ron Herman sweatpants. I think they make their own shit there and sell it. I think. But they were expensive. But they're very, 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 very comfortable. And I feel like I am announcing that I wear cashmere sweatpants before Kanye does it. Because this is some Kanye shit. But I beat you to it this time, motherfucker. I'm the motherfucker wearing the cashmere sweatpants. Butt ass naked. You... You invented the leather sweatpant, and that's cool. But I'm going to be the guy that's seen with the cashmere sweatpants. And I'm breaking this right now on the I Am Rappaport podcast. I'm the first fucking dude to say he rocks cashmere sweatpants. That's some Ghostface Killer rhyme shit. Like, you know who should have some Ghostface ghost Killer? If you come on this show, I will give you cashmere sweatpants. That is a promise. I'm, I'm putting that out there. If I could get Ghostface Killer... On the I Am Rappaport podcast, you get a pair of cashmere sweatpants and he will fucking love them. But I still bet he's never been, he's never had some cashmere sweatpants. And I know Ghost Deanie, Tony Starks, Ghost Face Killer, he knows about some luxurious shit. So, anyway, do I feel guilty? I feel very guilty. Am I super fucking comfortable? Hell fucking yeah. So, all right, I splurged. The other time I probably that I splurged. The first time that I splurged, I buy dumb shit. I don't I don't spend a lot of money. I used to I used to this would be un, unheard of to spend 340 something dollars on a pair of sweatpants. Pfft. 5 years ago I wouldn't have done this. But the first time I ever spent money, I was at the Venice Film Festival with my friend Paul Schulze and we we were we were there for the world premiere of a movie that I got to do with Woody Allen called Mighty Aphrodite boom holy shit so we were in Venice for the first time I think it's 96 I'm 26 I've never been out of the country ever never been out of the fucking country I think I went to Puerto Rico when I was a kid. I was a kid. I don't even know if I went to Puerto Rico. I know my father went to Puerto Rico. I went to Florida. I had never been... All I had been to Miami Beach, okay? At this point, all... I'd been to fucking Miami Beach. That's it. That's the furthest I'd been out of the country was the fucking Fountain Blue Hotel a couple of times. I'm five, six, seven. I almost drowned in the, the Fountain Blue Hotel. Not the Fountain Blue that it is now. The Fountain Blue the way it was in Scarface. I almost drowned in that motherfucker, all right? I fucking jumped in it, and I just went right to the bottom. And my father, you know, I don't know if he jumped in the pool or was able to get me with his arm, pulled me the fuck out, but I was fucking drowning. It was really happening. It was a rap. It was a rap for young fucking Mike Rap. I was fucking drowning in the Fountain Blue Hotel. So, anyway... So in 96, let's say 96, I'm going to check the date. In 1990 something, I went to the Venice Film Festival and I got a job, my first big paying job. And I'm not going to say how much money it is because I think that's just distasteful. But for me, it was a lot of money. And it, it was, it was uh, for um, the movie Metro. I was going to do Metro. I found out I was going to do Metro while I was in Venice, Italy to do press for the world premiere of Mighty Aphrodite. And we went on one of these glass tours. I don't know what the fuck. We, we, we went to go look at the, uh, the hand-blown glass. I don't remember if it was a tour or what. I don't know. But I bought a clown, a, a a very heavy. I think it's maybe twenty pounds, a twenty pound glass clown, Moreno. The accent's terrible. My Moreno. That was a the the kind of glass Moreno glass clown, and it cost. I think was it twenty eight hundred dollars or. Thirty three hundred, maybe it was. I don't fucking know, but it was the most money I'd ever spent. It was on a fucking glass clown that I still have. That's twenty pounds. That is still in great shape, except for like one of the fucking clown's fingers fell off. And people have such an adverse reaction to this clown. I've had it. I'll I'll, I'll post it on Instagram. It's 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 a it's a I think it's great, but people have a very adverse, opinionated reactions to this glass clown. But at the time, it was the first money that I ever spent on anything. I didn't own anything. I didn't own a car. I didn't own a house. I had no bills. I'm 26. Life is good for the rapper. You know? I'm an an actor. It's crazy, man. You got to tell you. When I look back on it now, I was pretty chill to be buying that fucking glass clown. Anyway, so I get the goddamn glass clown. All right? And uh, it's a big deal. And... uh, that's a whole other story. I'm going to get Paul Shulze on here. We'll go over the Glass Clown story. Um, Paul Shulze is an actor. He's probably best known. He's definitely best known for Nurse Jackie. He played Father Phil on The Sopranos. He was in that show 24 with um, Kiefer Sutherland. Paul Shulze, Laws of Gravity. He's a very, very, very good actor. I'm going to get him on here to tell the story more elabor- elaborately. So but my sweatpants <clears throat> that I have on now the cashmere they are really uh something and uh I don't know man I'm a little uncomfortable that I I I spent that kind of money I feel uh, it's you know you, you got to watch what you say but I feel just it's like it's elegant elegant I feel elegant anyway my cashmere sweatpants are great I'm I'm glad that I bought them I am the first person to uh, put cashmere sweatpants the man's man uh, with the cashmere sweatpants. I don't think, like I said, Kanye West hasn't fucking, haven't seen him rocking cashmere sweatpants, but you will be seeing me rock my cashmere. I'm going to all cashmere. Motherfucking Liberace probably never wore all cashmere, but, but that's going to be what I'm going to be doing soon is all cashmere, everything. Even Jay-Z never fucking rocked all cashmere, everything. All cashmere, everything with a leather jacket. What the fuck can you do with that? Nothing. Anyway, this is uh, Michael Rappaport. This is the I Am Rappaport podcast. And I'm going to do a song of the week. I'm going to do a verse of the week. Michael Rappaport. This is Michael Rappaport. And my verse of the week is I'm going to pick Halftime by Nas. And the reason why I'm going to pick Halftime by Nas, I mean, Nas is one of my favorite MCs. Nas is, he's so good. For so long. And I mean, you know, he's just he's just one of the best. So the first verse from halftime plays in the opening credits of my of a film I did, the first movie I ever acted in, Zebrahead. And so I always felt like, you know, I always felt like that was like the first time most people heard Nas. And that's the first Nas single. If you didn't hear anything before that, he was on a song called uh, Live at the Barbecue. But the first time a lot of other people heard him was on Halftime, which was in the opening credits of a film I did called Zebrahead, which was the first film I ever did. This is 1992. So I'm such a fucking hip-hop head. And then... I knew Live at the Barbecue, probably before I got Zebrahead. I don't know the timing, but I feel like it came out in the spring of, I think, 91. I don't fucking know. But I heard that Nas was going to be on the soundtrack from, from MC Search. We're going to get MC Search on here. That's going to be a fucking good-ass podcast. I'm going to get MC Search on here. We're going to That motherfucker's got history in hip-hop. So he produced the soundtrack. Anyway... The opening credits, Nas, halftime. Before a blunt, I take out my fronts. Then I start to front. Matter of fact, I be on a manhunt. You couldn't catch me in the streets without a ton of reefer. That's like Malcolm X catching a jungle fever. Now, right there, you're like, oh, fucking shit. That fucking line, that's like Malcolm X catching the jungle fever. Shut it down right there. Stop. You're like, whoop. You press pause and you're like, what the fuck was that? That's four. That's four sentences. Four fucking sentences. He shut the whole shit down. And and Nas was like 21. 20, some shit like that, maybe 19. So right there you were like, you had some fucking serious shit on your hands. The rest of the verse, two. King poetic, too much flavor, I'm major. Atlanta ain't braver, I pull a number like a sky pager. That's some shit right there. Because I'm an ace when I face the base. 40 side is the place that is giving me grace. Now I wait. Another dose, you might be dead. And I'm a Nike head. He said I'm a Nike head. I'm a Nike head. Right there, you're like, oh shit. This is in the first verse, this whole thing. I'm going slow. This is like taking, this is happening fast. It's happening like, there's a beat. I'm fucking breaking this shit down and I'm a Nike head. Shut it down. I probably skipped some shit that I, for other people in that past three or four lines that other people might find as like, I'm just going over the shit that stuck out with me. And then he said, I wear chains that excite the feds. Ain't a damn thing gonna change. I'm a performer, strange. So the mic warmer was born to gain. Nas, why did you do it? You know you got the mad flute. Yo, I'm reading this shit and I can't even do it. That's how fucking good it is. It doesn't mean I can't read. This is some fucking, I know you oh, no, you can't read. I can read. But the wordplay is so stupid that it, it, it's it's so ill that you, it's hard to even read it. You gotta be flowing on the shit. Nas, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. Fuck, man. So that's my verse of the week. Halftime by Nas. Shit is crazy. This is Michael Rappaport. And this is the I Am Rappaport podcast. And I am going to introduce a new segment called... The Scene of the Week. It's going, to be about, it's going to be about one scene from one movie and what it means to you, what it means to me, what it means to guests. And I'm going to start this off and then I'm going to pass the baton to somebody else. But my favorite scene of this week is a scene from probably the single most inspirational most important movie of my life as a fan. Changed my life in so many different ways. Such a big inspiration. And I saw it as a kid is a scene from Rocky 1. I was six years old when Rocky came out. Okay, so my, th- my sister Claudia took me to go see Rocky. Claudia Lano, she, well, we'll get into her later. But Claudia Lano, Claudia Rappaport. Took me to see Rocky in 1976. I'm not going to say how old she is, but she's my older sister. But this is, you know, 76. It's safe to move around the city. So went to go see Rocky, and I just loved it. I thought it was, like, a real person. It just, it's so crazy to be six years old, and that movie, like, had a profound effect on me. Like, everything about it, I understood. I just, it's, it, it, I know I'm not the only one. that I just fell in love with Rocky. Rocky will be a common theme on the I Am Rap podcast because it's just such a special movie to me. I want to do a whole Rocky segment, try to interview Stallone, Talia Shire. Oh, my God. Carl Weathers. I would die. The thought of having those people at my disposal and be able to just watch Rocky with them in my house, I would fucking die. That's my dream segment. To watch Rocky with the cast of Rocky. Oh my God, I would fucking die. Frank Stallone. Do you know who sang the song in Rocky? Take him back. Do, 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 do. Take him back. Take it back. Do, 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 do. Take it back. Like, if you're a Rocky head, like I am, you know what that is. That's when the guys were singing on the corner. It was Frank Stallone who's obviously Sylvester Stallone's brother. But like any anyway, I'm I, I could do a whole thing on every scene from Rocky, which which I'll do. Um so but my scene from my scene of the week from Rocky is when Mickey goes to Rocky's house unannounced unannounced and uh is kind of schmoozing him basically schmoozing him. That's such a crazy word to use in Rocky, but he's basically trying to, you know, convince him that he should be his trainer now that he's he has this big opportunity. And the scene is just, I remember seeing it as a kid and just feeling like so sorry. I didn't understand that. I felt sorry for Mickey, like when he was getting screamed at. I didn't understand exactly why Rocky was being mean to him. But then I felt sorry for Rocky when he was saying, you know... I mean, I could act out the whole fucking scene. When he was like, you know, legs ain't working. Nothing's working. Nobody's doing nothing. Guy comes up, offers me the big fight. Big deal. you yeah, I'll fight the big fight. And he hits the wall. So that scene, um, it's seven minutes. It goes on for seven minutes. Um... And it goes back and forth, and it finally ends with a beautiful... It's one thing about the whole Rocky movie. It's so beautifully shot, so simply beautiful shot. And this is probably the most beautiful, simple, standoff shot in the film. Probably is my favorite shot of the movie, is... When you see Mickey walking down the street, it's a long shot, it's, it's dark, empty street, streets are wet, beautiful Philadelphia street. I was from New York at the time, never been to Philadelphia, I'm six. So this world, Philly, is like coming to life. And it's just a beautiful shot. And at the time I didn't understand a beautiful shot, but now I understand film a little bit more and I can look at that shot and be like, wow, man, that's a beautiful shot. So Mickey leaves the apartment and then it, it, it's just a static shot, and then you know he's walking really slow, w- really slow, and then you see the door open, and then Stallone, Rocky, to me at the ki- as a kid it just was Rocky, but it, so Rocky comes and he chases Mickey, in. and Burgess Meredith's performance is so sick, it's so good, he's so good because he almost gets frightened when Rocky taps him on the back and then you know you don't know what they're saying you can't hear anything but you see him like stick out his hand to shake his hand and then they shake hands and then he hugs them. and then Stallone jogs off and that's the first time you see him you know training actually is that moment everybody well not everybody but you know even I you forget that you know you think it's the big scene up the stairs but the first time you kind of see him training is that moment and uh, it's just such a good fucking scene. And I'm going to talk to Kevin Corrigan, my friend who loves that scene as well. And that's my scene of the week. And I worked on a movie with Stallone. This is going to be a whole other segment. I worked on a movie with Sylvester Stallone called Copland. And phew, all I could say is when I worked on Copland, I want to go into that whole other, whole other time. When I worked on Copland, Sylvester Stallone was so generous with me. He gave me so much rocky love. It was a fucking dream come true. So I would do lines with Stallone. Anyway, we'll get into it another time. This is Michael Rappaport, and that was my Scene of the Week. All right, so here we are with the second... De Niro line of the week it's from Mean Streets now De Niro's character in Mean Streets Johnny Boy I, I think that this character aside from being a great performance and original performance this character of, of Johnny Boy and, and, and Mean Streets and the tone of this film and De Niro and Scorsese but I, I have to give you know, a lot of credit to, to, to Robert De Niro on this he, singly, he single-handedly brought in the, let's call it, the bada-bing style of acting. The bada-bing style of acting. The, 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 there was never before an Italian-American sort of, he's not even a gangster, he's like a, a, a hood, a, like a punk, like a hustler, like a street hustler. But the, the, the language that he brought in, the way he was doing the, the, the New York shit, that's become so sort of iconic to movies and, and, and television, from The Sopranos to, you know, other performances by De Niro and, and Scorsese and Goodfellas and, you know, Casino and Joe Pesci and Raging Bull. And, I mean, it's such an you know, it's a style of acting. The, the Sopranos, you know, they had a club called Bada Bing. I think De Niro in the film might even have said Bada Bing, and this is 73, 1973. They probably shot it in 72, 71. The movie came out in 1973. Tiny movie. The, the crazy thing about some of Scorsese's early films, they're essentially independent films. I know that they were put out by studios, but these are small movies. Mean Streets is a small movie. I don't know what the budget was, but I guarantee you it, 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 it couldn't have been more than $10 million if that. If that. I could do the research to find out how much it was, but it's a small film, but it was just so well-crafted, so unique, so original, and and, um, and it, it was just like a burst of energy. I think that Mean Streets isn't even a perfect film. There's some perfection in it, but as a film itself, I don't think personally it's a perfect film, but it's engaging, it's got an energy, it's got a style, and it's got this, this authenticity that... You know, set the tone. You know, The Godfather was around then. And of course, James Kahn and The Godfather as Sonny Corleone, he sort of had that bada bing. I'm calling it that, that, you know, that A, hey, O, oh, yo, that shit, that Italian shit, that street shit, that Italian street shit that is so synonymous. And I mean, everything for, you know, what was the movie with uh, Johnny Depp? Donnie Brasco. But but De Niro set it off, so the De Niro line of the week comes in um, the last the last third of the film, or the last act of the film. De Niro's character, who's you know basically a fuck up, Johnny Boy, and and Keitel's character is the straight guy, and you know he keeps telling him you gotta you know you gotta pay this guy back. The, the guy's name is Mikey, and. Uh, and, uh, there's a showdown in the bar and Harvey Keitel shows Cause he keeps saying, yeah, I'm going to pay him. I'm going to pay him. He says it so beautifully. So well. I'm going to pay him. I'm going to pay him earlier in a great scene earlier in the back room with him and Keitel that had to have been partially improv, not necessarily improv on the spot. See, one thing about film acting, it's rarely something is improv on the spot. It's like rehearsed improv, you know, um, you rehearse, and then you kind of find stuff within, in, within the scene in the rehearsal, and then you do it, and you kind of lay uh, colors and and tweaks and, and sort of back and forth. And I'm pretty sure that Scorsese, he would shoot with two cameras, which definitely lends to improvisation, because if you don't have two cameras, it's harder to improv. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, the De Niro line of the week comes when Keitel and this character, Mikey, show up at the bar, and De Niro, and David Provol, I can't remember his name in the, in the film, but he had a great season or two on The Sopranos, as the gangster that came out of jail, it was when he was really young, I mean, really, really, he brought the, he brought the fucking noise that year, actor David Provol, excellent actor, He's been around for, since shit, Mean Streets and before, alright, so, in this scene, De Niro, who owes his this character, Mikey, who's like a you know like a gangster, you know a tough guy, a real like a threat. He owes him I don't know a few hundred dollars. De Niro gives him ten dollars. All right, which which is already a bad sign. All right, he, he's being disrespectful. So Mikey, the gangster, throws the ten dollars at De Niro, and you're like, oh shit. De Niro picks up the the ten dollars. He goes, Mikey, you know what? You're really something. What's the matter? You're too good for this ten dollars. You know, you make me laugh. Ha, ha, ha. And De Niro looks good. He looks young. He says, you know what? I borrow money from people all over this neighborhood. I borrow money from everybody, and I never pay them back. So I can't borrow money from nobody anymore. So who does that leave me borrow money from now? You. Because you're a jerk-off. And the only jerk-off I could borrow money from around here without paying back. You know why? Because that's what you are. That's what I think of you. You're a jerk-off. Yeah, yeah. You're smiling because you're a jerk off. That's what you are, huh? A jerk off. And I'll tell you something else, Mikey. I fuck you right where you breathe. Because I don't give two shits about you or nobody else. That fucking line right there. I'll tell you something else, Mikey. I fuck you right where you breathe. Because I don't give two shits about you or nobody else. Robert De Niro was a fucking star. I'll fuck you right where you breathe. Because I don't give two shits about you or nobody else. That's the fucking De Niro line of the week from Mean Streets. And the thing that's so fucking great about this line, this has had to have been all made up and improv and loosely scripted, but Robert De Niro is like, literally like a fucking firecracker during that scene. He's smiling, he looks good, he's got this like, you know, hair coming down in his face, and he's, you could see the other actors are almost like watching him. That, that's the, the impressive thing. And these are great actors. Harvey Keitel and David Provol and the actor who I can't remember his name who's playing Mikey, who's, they're like almost in shock. And, you know, there's been different, you know, you hear all these sort of folk laws about this scene and, you know, De Niro was agitating this actor so much that he jumped across the, the bar to try to get him. Because he was insulting him so much, I mean, this when you talk about a star-making performance, and you talk about a, a, a iconic performance, and you talk about a stake in the ground and a pillar of 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 the new acting movement, this 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 performance by Robert De Niro as Johnny Boy in in Mean Streets is all of that, and the language and the gestures and his outfit, the creativity and the originality of it, it's just. It's bar none. I mean, it's like, it really is a landmark performance in terms of bringing in the authenticity and, and like, the realness. Because as great as Brando was and as great as Paul Newman was and as great as all the actors before, before De Niro, before Pacino, before Dustin Hoffman, before that next phase of people that were all heavily influenced by James Dean, Marlon Brando, and Paul Newman, it was still a little bit wooden. The language that they used in film, the way they spoke, it wasn't totally authentic. To me, this performance is one of the most authentic. It it, it brought in just this tenacity, and it brought in this vivaciousness, and it brought in this just this color that wasn't in films, especially New York films. So that's my line of the week from Robert De Niro in Mean Streets. Mikey, you know, you're something else. I borrow money from everybody. And I never pay him back. So you know what? You know what that leads me to? That leads me to borrow money from you. Because I don't have to pay you back. You know why? Because you're a jerk off. You know that? That's what I think of you. You're a jerk off. (laughs) He's smiling. You're smiling because you're a jerk off. Because that's what I think of you. And I'll tell you something else, Mikey. I fuck you right where you breathe. Because I don't give two shits about you or nobody else. How many fucking times would you have wanted to say that to a person? I don't give two shits about you or nobody else. And you know what else? I fuck you right where you breathe. Robert De Niro, you mean so much to me. You mean so much to so many people. You're just the fucking, you're you're, you're one of the best. You're one of the best. All right, for this week's segment of Wigger Please, I had heard about this a couple of months ago. These two teenage girls from Austria decided to say fuck it. And, and they wanted to leave their... Com- two white girls. Pretty. They look like they uh, never did a hard day's work in their life. That's how they look like. Middle school girls, I don't know, no, probably high school. 15, 17-year-old, two teenage girls decided to leave their homes in Austria because they wanted to be jihadi brides. These fucking dingbats. These chicken heads. They wanted to leave their families... And become ISIS, you know, uh, group, they're like ISIS groupies. These two fucking girls, these dummies, wanted to become ISIS groupies. And uh, they did. They fucking left their homes. They left Austria. And they uh, wound up uh, hooking up with ISIS. And they were down there and they were going to b- die for jihadi. And they were going to fucking live for jihadi. And they were going to suck as much ISIS cock as they possibly could get their hands on. And apparently these two fucking dingbat chicken heads, they, they did that, and now you two, uh, you two knuckleheads, you two fucking chicken heads, now they, 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 they've, they've uh, swallowed a little bit more than, uh, than they, could, they bargained for. So now these two ISIS groupies want to come back home to Austria and to their families And and, and they don't fuck around in Austria. Apparently, it ain't as easy to just, you know, you can't just dip your wick in the ISIS pool and then come back to Austria. So apparently, they're knocked up. They're they're, they're pregnant. They got some nice ISIS babies inside of them. And uh, Austria is like, ah, we're not so fast. You can't just, uh, you know, think you're going to fucking become an ISIS groupie. You know, become like a little chicken head. Like like you like you think they're going to a fucking uh, a, a rap concert. They thought they were going to see like fucking Coldplay perform or I don't know, fucking Adam Levine and and, and Maroon 5 and they were going to hook up with the band and then like, "Oh, I'm done with this. I want to go see someone else perform." No, sugar. You're fucking locked and loaded now. So you two dingbats get wigga motherfucking please. You fucking fools. And they would, went down there. The reason why I'm doing this, even though they're young girls, they went down there with bad intentions. They went down there. They said they would live and die for, for, for jihad and that they fucking wanted to, you know, juggle as many ISIS balls as they possibly could. And now they finished juggling and now they're, they want back home. No, 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 no. So you two dingbats, you get wiggle please. The second and final wigga please of the week goes to these three assholes down in New Orleans. These three assholes, uh, these, these fucking genius criminals, they robbed some girl. Of course, it was a girl, uh, a couple of girls. They robbed them for their purses and their phones, and then these jerk-offs, they ran away, and uh, they went into the bush somewhere. And I, I'm explaining why I know they went into the bush somewhere. And then these assholes, with the stolen phones took pictures of themselves with guns in their hands, smoking weed, with stolen phones, these dumb motherfuckers. The phones were connected to the iCloud, okay? You assholes, don't you know what happened to Jennifer Lawrence? And you see those photos? The phones were connected to the iCloud. The iCloud, the girls got the, the pictures. Oh, these are the assholes that stole our phones. Gave it to the police. Police find these three dickheads. Wigger, please. Let me tell you something, you dumbass criminal. How fucking dumb. Look, real gangsters, they used to say real gangsters live in silence. Now they say real gangsters don't fuck with cell phones. You gotta be an asshole. Why are you taking pictures of yourself, you fucking moron, with guns and weed on stolen phones? Now you're going to get what you deserve, okay? So and, and now, not only do you get what you deserve, you get wiggle Please, all three of you. All right, so that brings us to the close of yet another iconic, epic, gigantic I Am Rapaport podcast. Some people have called this the Titanic of podcasts. Not like it's a sinking ship like the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. I didn't say it, I'm just saying... One person in uh, the southern part of Arizona near the eastern part of Phoenix said the I Am Rappaport podcast is sort of like the Titanic of podcasts. Okay, so I'm just reading what some of the fans have said. This is Michael Rappaport. I'm glad you tuned in. I hope you like it. I'm glad to be here. Next week's podcast is going to be all on the 30 for 30 film that I had the honor and pleasure of directing called When the Garden Was Eden. It's not just a basketball film, but it focuses on the 1970, 1973 New York Knicks teams. It's part of the very classy, prestigious ESPN 30 for 30 series. It's the, the teams with Willis Reed, Bill Bradley, Walt Frazier, Earl the Pearl Monroe, Dave DeBusher, Phil Jackson, uh, Dean Memmichur. And I I got a chance to direct this film. It's premiering October 21st on ESPN. And next week's podcast will be premiering on the same day. It'll be the all I am Rappaport when the Garden Was Eden podcast. Anyway, this is Michael Rappaport. Thanks for uh, listening. I appreciate the support. And uh, keep coming back.